I'm Alex Millers. And I'm Tai Seifu. And it's Tuesday, June 21st, the summer solstice, longest day of the year, even though we haven't had much sunlight here in good old Montreal because it's been raining and such. But at the very least, um, all the major awards news has come out in like the past hour or so. Um, so we're going to start by talking about that before we get into Stanley Cup Finals, other things. What was there? There was the Calder, there was the Vesna, there was the Norris. Is the heart coming out later tonight? My guess I, is yes. I assume so. It's awards night. If anybody's watching, I doubt it. But is there even know, an award show? I have no idea. I usually they do. No, let me see NHL awards television. I'm, I'm looking. It up yeah, right but now. they've been releasing them gradually over the past couple weeks. So I don't think there's a show. Well, I think like well these these it seems to be pretty concentrated tonight. Okay, the broadcast will air tonight at 6 p.m. Central on ESPN. So of an award show, is what does the show consist of? Uh, hmm. The presentation of the awards, I guess. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it like a Las Vegas thing or? Uh, I I I don't know. I have no idea. Or is it where just it's, it's just Bill Dilly going? Time to reveal the winner of the Mark Messier Leadership Trophy. No, no, they got like a host and everything. You know, this guy from SNL. Uh, it's a scaled down affair, apparently. Oh, it, it is a live broadcast. So first live broadcast in a few years. They they scaled it down appropriately. Good good move. Nobody nobody cares about this enough to make it an actual event. Um, but. Apparently no one cares enough about this to tell people that it's happening. (laughs) If you're sicko enough to be watching ESPN right now, the NHL awards um, get help because (laughs) you need something better to do with your time. Because because you had to seek that information out yourself. You had to say, I wonder when the NHL award show is happening and look into it, look it up, and then schedule time to make sure you had a free evening. Yeah, it's one thing to look it up. It's another to commit to being one of the first people to know. Who won the awards? <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, um, want to do Vesna first? I haven't pulled up the uh, the voting stats for the Vesna. Do you have that? No, I don't. Let me let me see if I can find. I have the Norris stats. So should we? All right, let's start there? with that then. Okay. Yeah. All go right. go on. Sure. So, uh, yeah, Kale McCarr won, in a pretty tight one. So it was really everybody was talking about Yossi with his crazy. Insane. I think he hit 100 points production. Uh, or Kale McCarr, who really kind of broke out all season as uh, the guy, one of the perhaps one of the top three best players in the NHL, you know, or top five, definitely. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it, that's reflected in the voting. Yossi got 98 first plate votes to McCarr's 92, uh, but McCarr just had that many more second place votes to kind of edge him out. Uh, if, so he won by 25 points, if anybody cares, which I doubt. Uh, and uh, Hedman came up quite a distant third. And other people uh, that had a first-place vote, well, there's Hedman and McAvoy. And then further down the list, we have Adam Fox, Aaron Ekblad, uh, Chris Letang, and other folks. Somehow. Including uh, our boy, Chris Tanev, who got a fifth-place vote from, I'm assuming, a Calgary broadcaster. It's always very fun for me to look near the bottom of the list and see who someone, you know, threw like just 
someone was like, oh, I like this player. Justin Falk got a fifth place vote too. Why? That's insane. Oi, vey. Remember, uh, there's no Essel Lindell on the list this year, but Essel Lindell getting a third place vote has to be the all time best. Like, who was thinking what? He's like, he's the third best defenseman on his team. <laughs> they figure out who, who who was that? Who, like, was that a year uh, in which they I made it public? I don't, they, I don't think we ever learned who. Yeah. I can make smarter battles than that. Come on. Easy. Come on. Um, but yeah, we really exposed some some bad takes out here. Uh, especially for something that should be as straightforward as, you know, Norris. Like, I don't know. If you're lost, just read a couple articles. I, I don't think it's that hard. Yeah. You know? I, I just, don't know why you gotta, just like... Just look at Jay Fresh's uh, player cards. Sure, man. That sounds great. You don't have to pull fucking Alex Petrangelo out of your ass. Um, or Chris mm-hmm. Tanev. You know? There's, there's just no reason to do so. Okay? Calm down. Your Your opinion is not that exclusive. You know? It's you're not yeah. you're not on some next level astral plane by picking Chris Tanev as your fifth place fucking Norris vote. It's not happening. I feel like we've talked about this before. The mindset of like, oh, because I am so much smarter than everyone else, my opinion will be different. When in reality, the consensus is usually correct. That's right. I think maybe we've talked about it when it comes to drafting, something like that. Yes, we have. Yeah, uh, and it applies here too, for sure. All right, I've pulled up Vesna stuff now. Okay. Don't if you don't have it open, don't look at it because okay. I'm gonna let's do some ask you some questions. Oh, so out of 32 possible, how many first place votes do you think Shostakin got? Oh, I know this. I saw I saw a tweet about it. Uh, he got okay. He got 29 out of 32. Yes. Do Do you know who the <laughs> other ones went to? So one went to Vasilevsky, and then and yep. then there were a couple of wacky ones. I know Freddie Anderson got one. Yep. And fucking Ilya Sorokin. That's exactly right. And the weird thing with that is that the second place and third place for Vesna, Markstrom and Saros, neither of them got a first place vote. And fourth, fifth, and sixth, Anderson, Vasilevsky, Sorokin all got one. Um, that's kind of wacky and weird. Um, so the three people who didn't have Shesterkin first had him second. This one was not close at all. He got 154 points, Markstrom 53, Saros 32. Uh, we go out all the way down to the bottom. The three players who each got a third place vote: Thatcher Demko, Vili Huso, and Tristan Jari. Uh, wow, this is uh lovely. Well, I, Vili Huso, who's doing that? That's the one that sticks out. Like Tristan Jari, you know, bounce back season. He's pretty good for Pittsburgh, and like Thatcher Demko's cool. What? Well, it's still a bad take. But like Vili Huso sticks out, you know what I mean? Like he barely snatched Absolutely. that 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 starting job, let alone top three goalie in the league. Um, yeah, this one's voted on by the general managers, right? So it's uh, <laughs> I mean, you gotta wonder what they're smoking. That's yeah. Huso forty games this year, nine nineteen, which you know if someone plays forty games to be up for the Vesna, which he wasn't, but to get a Vesna vote, you'd think. You'd have to have some crazy like 930, 940 type thing. He played l- less than half the season and was like, yeah, those are pretty good numbers. Third place Vesna vote. He doesn't have a case. There, There's no case for, for voting <laughs> for Billy Uso. Oh, man. <laughs> there's, there's beyond zero justification. If this is, man, who who did this? Who do you think it is? Who's Who's like fucking... 
stupid enough to do this? Like, is it? Uh, uh here, I'll make a guess when I look up what team Billy Huso had the best numbers against. If he like, sh- there's a team that he like shut out two times. It's that team. <laughs> it's uh, it's Lou Lamorella voting. Sorokin first, <laughs> Freddie second, and Jari third. Just or uh, no, not well, Jari. No, Huso. Someone put Shesterkin in the top two. Oh. So. So you're wrong Whoops. on that one. Whoops, Buffalo. my bad. But uh, <laughs> I guess the, the numbers don't bear my hypothesis nowadays. Eh? It, Sorokin, Shesterkin, and Huso. That was a possible ballot someone had. Yeah. My my money is Lou. I think he has a dumb ballot. Seems like I don't think that I'm, 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 I'm far out on that one. No? I don't know. I cannot wrap my mind around looking at Shesterkin's, like, one of the best goalie seasons of all time. And not putting him first for the best. <laughs> he was miles ahead of everyone in goaltending this, this year. This implies, like, let's see, what's what, how, how old is Sorokin? Like, 23? 20, okay. Uh, no, I think he's Sturkin's age. I think he's like 25, okay. 26. The implication here, they're both 26. So the, the implication here is that there's one GM who is like, let me look at these two age 26-year-old goalies. And I was like, which one would I prefer to have on my team this year? They picked Ilya Sorokin. Or Freddie Anderson. Wow. What a take! <laughs> this is somebody running an NHL team. This isn't even some fucking bum journalist who has, who's maybe watched only the team, you know, the games that their team has played. This is this is full on a general manager, being like, I I prefer Sorokin season. Well, what is there to I support guess, that? Like, man, what's your? I think maybe the, the logic, the logic is probably oh, his roster was worse, so he's what he did is more impressive. Man, just that's all I can think of. His defense wasn't good. Anyway, uh, I see how someone could go, oh, he's got Adam Fox, and, like, Jacob Trubal is so sturdy. And meanwhile, the Islanders, you know, <laughs> fell apart this year, so. Well, there's there's really not much point in rationalizing how these dumb old men think about this kind of thing. But, you know, it's it's wild. Or even, like, Freddie Anderson. That's the second dumbest one. How do you justify that? Um, he get injured? Well, man, maybe he had a such a good bounce back year or something. I don't fucking know. <laughs> it's not the Masterton. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there we go. That's the Vezina. On to the Calder voting, where we have Moritz Sider taking it in quite the landslide. Like there are how many voters? Maybe 195. He got 170 first place votes. I feel like we thought it would be more competitive than that. Um, you know, the discourse was pretty was probably the most spirited uh, about the Calder uh, this this time around. You know, oh, do we do we give it to Bunting? Can we? You know, old man and whatnot. Uh, but he came a pretty <laughs> distant third. Only got first, what seven first place votes, and uh, yeah, Zegers was second. We had we had Lucas Raymond rounding out the top four and Jeremy Swayman. Rounding out the people who got first place votes with two. Uh, so there we have it. I am mostly surprised at how big the gap is between Bunting and Lucas Raymond. Because I was surprised. Like I thought Raymond was going to be in that top three. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the gap between him and Bunting is uh, almost 400 points. And that is six first place votes and 41 second place votes, which is... Crazy to me, especially considering Michael Bunting is 65 years old. So, uh, there, 
That's my take on that. Um, of course, we always have fun at the bottom here, where of Alex Nedeljkovic got a fifth place vote. And my first reaction was, "How was he eligible? Wasn't he eligible last year?" I mean, Probably. I know, I know, like players can be eligible for this several times, yeah. but I thought last year it was like, uh, "Oh, he actually might finish in the top five or something." Yeah, that that sounds pretty familiar. I feel like I was I was on board with that train. He played like twenty three games. That's like that's a sizable sample. Last no? year, yeah, last year for Carolina or not for Carolina, yeah. And he played the year before too. This is like his third year in the season. Uh, third. Well, year the, the year before he only played like four games. Sure, but even then, what's up? Th- wow, twenty three games. Oh yeah, twenty three. Mm-hmm. Now that I think of it, is like. It's not an. It felt like more because last year was only fifty six games. Mm. Um, but I think the cutoff is like twenty five or something. Okay. So that's kind of crazy. He was like, you played twenty three games, almost won the Calder, or like you know, not maybe not almost, but like was in the conversation. Next year he plays fifty nine games, shits the bed, gets a fifth <laughs> place Calder vote. That's a fun trajectory. <laughs> He had a 901 save percentage this year. I understand it's with Detroit, but he was not good. That's bad. The, no, <laughs> nobody watched the Detroit Red Wings, and I was like, it came out of the cup and thinking, wow, I was really impressed with how Alex Nedeljkovic held the fort. No, it was just a key, just a cog on a shit team who was part of making it shit. And, uh, you know, he deserved the consideration last year. He was 932. That's crazy. Played half the season. What a, what a, what a legend. But then, you know, you cannot... Come on, what is this? What are we doing here, man? Fucking Alex Nadelkovich. Whose idea was this? I need to know. You know, we need to expose them. You know, I know, I know. like, now they make it public. Uh, that's great. We're going to call them out. I'm going to make a point of calling these people out. These Alex Nadelkovich and, like, you know, Justin Falk, Chris fucking Tanev lovers. What if it's the same person? But I'm going gonna... to make a point. Of calling out in a positive way the one brave soul who gave Cole Caulfield a third place vote for the Calder Trophy. Lovely. I must say, whoever you are, you're absolutely 100% correct. Everybody knows that when judging the Calder Trophy, the most important part is the last two months of the season when you score like a 45 goal pace. Um, and so, therefore, you belong in the top three. Not only that, four, uh, sorry, six fourth place votes, eight fifth place votes, uh, ninth overall in the Calder voting after, as we all know, scoring like one goal for the first four months of the season and spending a stretch of it in the AHL. Amazing. It's a work of art to uh, basically, you know, go missing for half a season, still finish in the top 10 for Calder voting. You'll have to see it. A feat mm-hmm. not that You know who's not on this January. list? Who? You know who's not on this list? Cam York. Noted US NDP player, formerly Cam York. Whose name starts with the C. <laughs> a hard C, mind you. Yeah. <laughs> Philly fans are crying. Just yep. sobbing. All right. Mm-hmm. Plus, they have Tortorella. That would have been a good transition if we hadn't already talked about John Tortorella last week. Anyway, um, well, now that that's all wrapped up, maybe we'll get the heart news later in uh, in the show. But let's talk about the Stanley Cup Finals, that little series going on these days. Um, because it is 2-1 Colorado after Game 3. 
Colorado won game two, seven nothing, in utter shellacking. Then Tampa Bay beat Colorado six to two, which could also, I think, reasonably be called a shellacking. So so far we have one shellacking on either side and an overtime game that could have gone either way. So this series, I think, so far has been much closer in the big picture than many are giving it credit for based on the fact that it was really looking like it was leaning very heavily in Colorado's favor after game two. All right, I think that's where the, a lot of the bias stems from, right? Colorado was up 2 nothing in the series, uh, and obviously, well, I guess well, we can talk about the two games. Uh, game two, utter shellacking is absolutely right, uh, and they just, you know, did the Colorado thing except, you know, yanked it to the max and Tampa had no answer whatsoever for that kind of swarming, fast style that, you know, that Colorado was playing uh, to the tune of, like, seven fucking goals. And Tampa also couldn't mount any sort of counterattack. Anything that they kind of, you know, they really kind of really didn't gain the zone much at all, uh, let alone meaningfully test Darcy Kemper on his way to a shutout. And maybe if they had, it wouldn't have been 7 nothing Because uh, if we look at Game 3... Uh, that man, as he has all throughout the playoff, uh, looking not so good as Darcy Kemper. Looking real fucking shaky, whether it's that that Sorelli goal where, you know, Sorelli fucking lost the puck and it still went right through Kemper. Or, you know, the Pat Maroon one where couldn't seem like it didn't seem like he knew what the hell was going on and he got it flipped over his back. Uh, it was 6-2. I mean, you know, Colorado just, they weren't as good defensively you know, as they were the first two games. Uh, and, you know, just Tampa had a lot, a lot, a lot of chances in the slot. But even then, despite that, Kemper still looked like shit. Yeah, the Maroon one was the one I was going to point out specifically that was like, ooh, yikes, Darcy Kemper. Um, you were right. He was not to be trusted. Congratulate yourself. Thank you. Um, Vindicated. Yep. Pavel Francouz came in, gave up one goal on 11 shots, which is like, a kind of whatever performance, you know, was especially only for half the game. Um, Francois, though, remember he he did play the entire Oilers series and didn't lose a game. He did give up a lot of goals, though. And even though Kemper had a bad game three, I would not be so quick to pass the reins over to Francois for game four because it's not exactly like he's the hot hand either. No, I don't think anybody's seriously contemplating giving the reins over the starter's position to Franco's based on, you know, one, it's one game. Now, granted, yeah, you know, Kemper has had a track record this playoffs of not being good. But yeah, what 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 do you have? Like, you know, Franco's is the backup goalie. All right, he's a pretty good one, but he's a backup goalie. He can win if you're dominating. He can't steal a win. Uh, and, you know, Kemper on a good night can do that. He did that throughout the regular season. And so there's definitely more upside with Kemper. Uh, and... You know, Franco's hasn't hasn't really shown you any anything to indicate that he should be the starter. So, you know, unless Kemper continues to actively be a total liability, there's there's really no no way to to kind of see Franco's out in the net. Interrupting this Stanley Cup final discussion to bring you Hart Trophy results. The real important shit. We ready? Yes. The winner is Austin Matthews. Oh. In somewhat deciding fashion 119 first place votes uh Connor McDavid 29 first place votes it was not particularly close and I agree with his outcome Matthews was better than McDavid in the regular season 
and scored a whopping 60 goals. So, uh, yeah, Shesterkin had 24 first-place votes. Goudreau had three. Jonathan Huberdeau, 13. <laughs> Roman Yossi with five first-place votes. And Kirill Kaprizov with two. Wow. Interesting. I'm I'm surprised. That's like an awfully high number for Huberto, I find. You know, not like and crazy for Yossi. High. And for Yossi. Well, yeah, but that's five, you know? You can you can have five schmucks to vote for Roman Yossi. How many voters are there? Like 250? Yeah, you're, you're telling me, you know, you get a set sample of 250, you know, hockey writers, the very specific, you know, group of people. <laughs> Uh, you can't convince, you know, five of them that fucking Roman Yossi was the best player. You know, there are other people who will, who will buy that shit. Um, I wouldn't. But like 13. Really? Really? 13 for Jonathan Huberto, who, you know, had a great season. Not like drives play enough to be best player in the world conversation kind of season, though. So, yeah, just just strange shit. Um, looking, looking down the lineup. We have somebody giving fucking JT Miller a fifth place vote. Just what? Why? And and like three for Jason Robertson. I feel like you can definitely name players five fucking players off the top of your head. Anybody really who had a better season than Jason Robertson? Well, yeah, like forty goals. Great. Not one of the five best players in the league. Not even close. Whack shit. Crazy. What are these people thinking? I feel like. One is the same thing we were talking about before with Jason Robertson is everyone wants to be like the super smart one who realizes Jason Robertson's a star. And Not he is. Today. Well, uh, that, no pun intended. Um, but they <laughs> want to be like, I will be the one who will spread the word of the fact that Jason Robertson scored 41 goals and was over a point in the game. Um, you make a good point about Huberto. And I think I know exactly why he got a disproportionate amount of love for this trophy. And it's because of the Alan Walsh Dom decision feud <laughs> earlier this year. I it's one hundred percent. You really reason. think so? <laughs> I absolutely. Are you oh. kidding me? Everyone loves Alan Walsh. Dom decision. Oh, it's like, God. oh yeah, I have Huberdeau as like I don't know tenth in my heart ranking or something. Sure. And at the time, he was second in points because of all the secondary assists. And Alan Walsh was like, "How dare you insult the amazing best offensive player in the world, <laughs> Jonathan Huberdeau, my client." And I can just picture, you know, swaths of professional hockey writers and whoever being like, "You tell him, Alan Walsh, I'm voting for Huberdeau to support you." Wow. There, that's my theory. It's really just Alan Walsh finished fifth in heart voting. What a what a guy. Didn't have to play a single game. Look at him go. Um, I wonder if people, you know, like if you're voting for someone relatively young like Jason Robertson, are they like investing, you know, like to say, hey, I was in on this train early. Just look at my heart ballad three years ago. You know what I mean? Like I had a bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the someone vibe. should have been voted for like Jack Hughes then. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay. So that's why, you know, if that's the, the route you want to go, sure. Fine. Be that kind of, you know, Chase that narrative. But JT Miller ain't winning this shit, you know, in, in any time <laughs> soon. So you're just being dumb <laughs> by voting for JT Miller. So, you know, that's... that's Stamkos our, that's our... is another weird one. Yeah. Kind of strange. He had a good season. He did have a really good season. Yeah. But, yeah. Weird. I know he had a good se- a bounce back year. Um... But just besides the fact that, like, you know, not really a, I wouldn't have him, you know, top five. What, 
He did have well, he had a career high in points. He had 106 points. Okay, I maybe kind of take it back. I didn't realize he was quite that good. But it is kind of weird that like, you know, um usually you'll have the effect of like too many good players on a team, so they'll cancel each other out for hard votes or whatever. Unless the narrative decides, nah, not this year, which is maybe why like Marner got none. He is absolutely nowhere to be seen on this board. Even though like you know, his year was as good as last year's, wasn't it? Or pretty close, I think. Um, but you know, it's just the talk of the town, the narratives, and everyone goes, eh, this year we'll, you know, give Matthews all our first place votes and Marner nothing. I guess nobody nobody wants to put two leafs on their ballot, because that's what you need to do at that point, right? Uh mm. I guess that's the effect. Um, it's just like, uh, they play on the same line. I can't possibly have them on the same ballot. You can't have two valuable players on the same line. <laughs> Stacking them both on the on the first line? Who would do that? Mitch Marner must be, must be trash. He must not must be worth be. it. But uh, Michael Bunting is third for the Calder. How could he be any good if he's on the same line as the Hart winner? That's a good point. That's why he didn't win. See? Yeah. Very true. Yeah. If he was alone, he would have won the whole damn thing. Um, mm. So, yeah, there's your voting. For the heart. I, that's probably the last award, right? I think he won the Ted Lindsay too, if I saw correctly. Nice. Good for him. Good for Austin. What a what a what a nice season he had. Sixty goals. Uh so yeah. Alright. There we go. Let's go back to the finals now. Yeah. Um the more, more where relevant stuff. Much more topical. Where my Tampa Bay Lightning are prepping for a comeback. Um I still have full faith, by the way. I've not lost hope at all. I'm gonna be correct. And there will be a three-peat. And Game 3 really kind of instilled my confidence. Again, not just because, you know, the Colorado goalies were bad and shaky and not worth trusting. Um, but also, I think what really kind of makes Tampa special, even though maybe on paper they are maybe a little bit worse than the Avalanche top to bottom, all things considered. But they're very good at holding on to their momentum swings, I think. And you could say Colorado did that in game two, but I think that's kind of, diff- kind of just different when like one team dominates. Um, but there are very often, you know, of course, momentum swings, and they sometimes seem amplified in playoff games. Uh, but Tampa Bay seems to have this kind of poise and wherewithal, to bring out last week's fun word, to know how to juice as much out of their momentum as possible before it inevitably inevitably swings back the other way. And I don't know if that's, you know, too much of an, abstra- an abstraction. Um, do, do you kind of get what I'm getting at here? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I think it also might be that they, you know, you, you see the phenomenon of, you know, they, they grab momentum and they kind of take it with it. Uh, kind of tied to that is they tend to improve as the series goes on, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. so that might be a momentum thing. It might be, you know, they get, they really kind of, they can adjust their game to whoever their, their opponent is, uh, and kind of really put the clamps on them. We saw it against the Rangers, certainly, uh, where, you know, down to nothing in game three, and then they just kind of took the reins and never looked back. Right. Uh, and they, they really, you know, we're talking about shutting down certain players for the Rangers. It was, you know, Fox and Zibanejad didn't get any production in, in the back half of that series. 
um, that's, you know, I think a big credit goes to Tampa for being able to adjust on the fly. And I don't think it's, it's just a matter of like, oh, maybe, you know, part of it is psychological. But another part of it is they are making clear adjustments, right, um, to target certain points of their opponents. Uh, and, you know, they do it very effectively, clearly against, you know, Florida. Obviously, they swept him. And so they had him from the get-go. Uh, but, yeah, like, you know, in-game adjustments and whether it's psychological, you know, warfare because they've been there before. Tampa clearly does have a penchant for doing better later in series. Um, but yeah, if there is a team that has the talent to score their way out of that, though, it is Colorado. Uh, and yeah, you know, lots of people have said it before. This is the best team that Tampa's faced in the last two years in the playoffs. Uh, and, you know, they certainly have the talent to kind of collect themselves after losing such a, in such a way in game three. And, you know, just out talenting the lightning in game four. I wouldn't be surprised there either. Yeah, um, I was I think, you know. Andre Burakovsky, who scored the winning goal in Game One, has I think is the only player on Colorado, except like Darren Helm, with like the Stanley Cup experience or whatever, won a Stanley Cup, um that that old type of thing. And someone asked Bone Byram about it I think after Game One, and he was like, "Well, now we all have some Stanley Cup final experience," <laughs> um, and he was hundred percent correct, <laughs> absolutely that's fair. Right. Uh, and I think that's a you know a good way to to look at things like you know kind of this um yes everyone's talking about you know tampa having you know been to the stanley cup finals well guess what now we're here and so now we're here too and there that's that um so we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna play them and you know also perhaps get better as we go along and i really think you know the makeup of colorado's roster and that you know confidence and kind of we are acting like we've been here before or whatever that they're playing with would inspire much more confidence if not for the goaltending uh, and Vasilevsky who you know was bad in game two bounced back in game three and gets better throughout the series just like the rest of his team contrast that with Kemper and Francois who are totally up in the air in terms of quality that's where things get really really shaky yeah and we talked about this all year really with Colorado right it was always Kemper that was always the weak link you did and- I, did. I was never worried about Kemper. Okay. I was always like, well, I was a Kemper believer. I, I, I've, I've been on this. Granted, he did have a good regular season. But yeah, when they made this trade in the first place, I was like, man, that is that is putting a lot of eggs in a basket. You know? And for, for a team this caliber, built this well, uh, just so, 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 so clearly the most talented team in the league, just like on raw, on paper, uh, to, to kind of risk it with Darcy Kemper, um, who, you know, has a history of a injury, perhaps some inconsistency. Um, he's been generally good, but was it that next level um, that maybe you could have found elsewhere in the market? No, no. Uh, and I haven't been completely sold, and I feel vindicated, not just of my warning last week, but of my my earlier narrative from earlier this year and from last off season. Um, not sold on him, and uh, yeah, he's a UFA this year, so we'll see what happens there. Colorado has another chance to refresh. Uh, whether they win the cup or not, uh, they can they can change up their goalie situation. Uh, and the same warning still applies because the team will be just about as good. Maybe they can go after Vesna Vogt getter Vili Huso in free agency. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that move. I don't know about that about that move, but you know, who knows? Maybe a run of Jack Campbell. That'd be spicy. I would be sold on that. Just just spitballing. Um, so All yeah, right. if you look, yeah, is there anything Oh, yeah. 
I uh, yeah, I was gonna say the exact same thing. Anything else on the Stanley Cup final? Yeah, well, I mean, we can take a look at the injuries. Uh, looks like Point, who was back for game, I think two, definitely for three. Uh, he is doubtful for game four. Seems to have aggravated something. Um, you know, everybody's banged Yikes. up, so that's that's potentially you know, even though he was banged up while playing, it's still quite a loss. Uh, and yeah, just the injuries are kind of piling up. It seems like, especially for for Tampa Bay side, you know, obviously Burakovsky's hurt for Colorado. Kadri still hasn't come back, but you know, Kucherov looked ailing. Uh, who was it that gave him like a like a was it like a, some sort of cross check uh, last game? I don't remember who it was, but somebody on Colorado and that uh, like you know Nick Paul was like fucking hobbling around the ice, scoring goal, but still still looking mad injured. Uh, so yeah, you know, war of attrition and whatnot. It uh, it continues. Yeah, there was, also, there was a play where I thought Corey Perry was like, yikes, he looks hurt. But then he came back and scored a goal. Um, yeah, it was like a play yeah, on the point board. Is listed, right? like his foot was yeah, 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 in the offensive zone, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it looks like, uh, yeah, point is listed day-to-day. Riley Nash may slot back in. Everyone's favorite no-event player. <laughs> Everything neutralizer. World famous. Yep. So, yeah. That's that's the injury front. And yeah, game four is tomorrow. Good stuff. Very exciting. You'll love to see it. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's nice that like from here on out, the games are every other day. Because no- normally in the finals, I think like on the travel days, uh, or on, you know, uh, they, they would have like two days off when there was a travel. And it got very slow at like game four, five, six, seven, and you're waiting all the time. This one, there was for some reason a gap between game one and two. Now they're all back to back, getting them done, you know, before the end of June. It's a good pace. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's excruciating if you have to wait fucking three days between games. It's not right. They did it right. Yeah, the scheduling this time around was pretty good, eh? Just as a whole for yeah. the playoffs. Few complaints. Yeah. We we haven't talked about it other than to, you know, praise the alternating format of like round one. That was fun. Yeah. So remember last year when like there uh, waiting for like Vancouver, Calgary, meaningless regular season postponed <laughs> games to end before like the the North Division playoffs could start, and they were like five days after all the other playoffs, and we we're like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> Just wonky shit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, that was a real Good highlight. Times. Good stuff. Um, so yeah, that's the uh, that's the Cup final recap of the abbreviated week. Uh, any anything else you would like to mention? Uh, not on that, but there okay. was a big trade, big deal that Massive. was underway. Huge. Uh-huh. Blockbuster. The second ever Shea Weber trade. And I'd say this one's probably as big as the first one, right? I would agree. All right. Shea Weber, another one-for-one one deal happening in the month of June. Um, Weber for Evgeny Dodonov, of course. I actually, I, this is very strange. Because I was like on the Metro when I saw this deal had happened. Um, but I, I went on Twitter and I saw something, you know, they're like, oh, it sounds like Weber's contract is getting moved somewhere. And I was like, interesting. And then I saw the Vegas Golden Knights official tweet that was like, we traded Evgeny Dadnall for Shea Weber. And I was like, interesting. And I clicked on it and it said, this tweet has been deleted. <laughs> and, I was, and I was like, oh, did someone make a mistake again? Was it an Evgeny Dadnall <laughs> no trade related thing again? And other people were noticing too. Like they made the tweet and deleted it like 20 seconds later. 
So I was really, you know, in there at a lucky time so that I actually saw it. Um, Small I don't know what the reason was for the deleting and reposting of exactly the same thing, one for one deal. Um, but I do have to say, uh, besides the Anaheim Ducks Twitter, who said, you sure, after the Dadenow trade, very clever, claps all around. Uh, the winner is unequivocally, unequivocally, 100% Montreal, who gets a good player for a year and is nowhere close to the cap. Uh, and the loser is Vegas, who cleared a bunch of cap space, uh, traded Nick Holden and I think a pick to get this player who immediately became a negative asset for them within a couple months and did everything they could to get rid of him. Right. I think, well, there's two ways you can look at this. I think from a long-term perspective, the acquisition of, you know, Dodonov was extremely questionable to begin with. You know, we were all asking ourselves, what are you doing? With this cap space, after you know they they let go, of, they traded away Flurry for nothing. They used most of the cap space to sign this guy, Laurent Brassois, uh, or, or trade for him and sign Laurent Brassois. And you know this was this is not something that soured. This was pretty dumb from the beginning. And so this is the end of that saga. You gave him away for nothing. Uh, that's that's pretty dumb. Um, however, you know in a vacuum, this trade makes sense. You know you clearly did not have the best of relations with the dude. Yeah failed at trading him the first time around. Uh, you needed to get rid of him. At least you didn't have to give up a draft pick or some shit. And instead, you get cap relief uh, because this is a cap team, so they can maximize that that LTIR usage and apparently like part of the contract's insured or whatever, so they save some money too. Uh, and, you know, so it works out in that sense, but obviously this whole acquiring the Donna thing was not the way to go. I could have told you that. You could have told them that. Many people could have told them that. Just dumb. Uh, and yeah, free player for Montreal. You can't hate it. And they have less LTIR money. Um, with you know, We'll see whether price uh, goes on LTIR. But it would have been a pain in the ass to have both at the same time, I think, for cap purposes. So get rid of this deadweight contract and get a free player. You could flip them at the here's deadline the thing, for assets. Here's the really weird thing with the Donov and Vegas. When he was in his one year with Ottawa, 55 games, you know, only missed one game in the 56-game season, 13 goals and 20 points, not a very good output. Nope. They trade him to Vegas. He scored 20 goals this year, 43 points, massive or at least significant increase in production. And they're like, oh, we got to get rid of this guy. What did you think was going to – What were you, you saw the player in Ottawa who, you know, was barely scoring on a terrible team, and you go, that's the guy we need to take up five-sevenths of the cap space that is going to be left after our Vesna goalie gets traded away. He gets better, and then you're like, oh, he's taking up way too much cap room. Who could have seen this coming? We must get rid of him at all costs. It's either, you know, very questionable player evaluation or just a stunning lack of foresight. <laughs> I think it's a combination of both, honestly. Um, there was no foresight cap-wise, but just like, what player evaluation are you going through in which... This is this is the guy you want, and it's a smart allocation of cap out, you know, cap resources and trade resources. I just I don't know what they were seeing. Uh, was he the missing piece uh, to to make the playoffs? <laughs> make the playoffs. Uh, you know, clearly he wasn't, and I don't know how you can make the argument that he was beforehand. So you know, it's just it's just it, a massive stupidity, just so dumb. Um, and front mm. offices continue to 
to treat us with these moves. We dunk on them when they happen, and then what do you know? They don't work out. That's crazy. Yeah, I do think, I think it's probably reasonable to say he's like a second line, maybe caliber forward. Definitely on Montreal, he's second line caliber. Um, I, was very, I don't know if you saw the, like one of those fake accounts, like the hockeyrumor.com or whatever was like, here, my source is telling me that Jonathan Druin has played his last game in a Habs uniform. And some people were like, whoa. Um, and then someone was like, oh, is he going to play naked from now on? <laughs> um, it's the logical uh, conclusion. Yeah, pretty much take that as confirmation that Jonathan Duran's not going anywhere. Uh, that was a joke. <laughs> Maybe he'll get traded. Anyone could. Um, but yeah, it looks like they're kind of slating up to be a winger-heavy team again next year. Caulfield, Anderson, Gallagher, Hoffman, Dodonov, Druan. Um Winger heavy in relation to their centers, not in relation to other teams who many have better wingers than that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's the, that's been the Habs for the last, I don't know, decade and a half. Pretty, pretty winger heavy. Um, if, if anything heavy is the wingers, certainly not the centers. Um, so yeah, there we go. And as I said earlier, it seems to be the, quite the perfect trade asset. At the trade deadline, you retain half. You're not near the cap. And, uh, you know, a team gets a decent middle six forward for the push at half the cost, which would be, what, like, what, two, two, two and a half million dollars? Um, so, here we go. Look at that. Here's my take. Want to hear my hot take? Yeah. Dadanov rocks and scores at, like, a 30-goal pace. And Montreal gets a first-round pick for him. And everyone laughs at Vegas. <laughs> I would love to see. It. I I could absolutely see it happening. You know that is certainly within the realm of possibility. I don't think it's a hot take. I uh, well, you know, a first round pick's a little hot. A lot. But you know, a middle six forward for two million dollars, it's a rental. We there there have been worse players. There have been worse players who have gone for firsts. Um, uh, for example, Ben Sherratt. There we go. Yeah, you just need to anchor the price early on. Is what we saw. Yeah. Right. Just like halfway, like two weeks into the season, Dadanov has scored like, I don't know, two goals in five games. Kent Hughes goes, we will be getting a first round pick for him at the trade deadline. Denver goes, I guess they're getting a first round pick. And then they do. The strategy has been laid out. It yeah. works. <laughs> works for anybody. So, I can, you know, Ben Sherratt is a very low bar to clear. I got to say. Even, mm-hmm. even for, you know, NHL GM standards. Um, so yeah, that's that's that transaction. We're looking at other transactions, uh, coaching transaction perhaps. Uh, these many musical chairs are starting to slowly fill up. Uh, if we look at uh, one, the, the the more predictable one, perhaps we'll start with the Oilers. They sign Jay Woodcroft to a multi-year deal. You know, he really turned it around because uh, it looked like their season was really going to shit under. Uh, was it Dave Tippett? Who was it before him? Yep. It was Dave Tippett. Uh, so he's turned it around. And uh, sure, Connor McDavid seems to like him. That's pretty much the bar you need to clear out in Edmonton these days. Uh, and he's resigned. Anything you want to add there? I can't imagine there's much to say. Nope. Uh, saw this one coming. And this is, you know, one instance of interim head coach clearly bring the team up several notches. And you go, he earned a deal. 
There we go. Uh, and out of the other news, recently fired Pete DeBoer uh, is staying in the Western Conference. Goes from Vegas to the Dallas Stars for the next fucking four years. Um, Man, what a vanilla decision on the part of the Dallas Stars. But exactly. honestly, what more could we expect from Dallas? Who comes to mind before them when you hear like middle of the pack? Not Minnesota anymore. Not Philadelphia anymore. I think it's got. I think like Dallas and Nashville have cornered the markets on like mediocrity and playoff bubble right now. And Pete DeBoer feels like the quintessential like average NHL coach. You know, like he's always somewhere. And sometimes it's like, oh, he brought his team to the conference finals, but also he's probably gonna get fired like next year or the year after type <laughs> guy. Exactly. And this, you know, when I saw this come across my timeline, I was like, this is the perfect marriage. Um, not because I think DeBoer will elevate the stars to new heights that they haven't seen. No, um, it's just <laughs> their vibes are identical. Just yeah. straight up middling. Uh, and this is quite appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can't be like, stars, what are you doing? Why don't you hire a better coach? Because it's like, your roster kind of is mediocre as shit. I don't know why it's not deserving of spending the money to buy a great coach. Um, if you're if you're budgeting for that, so you know it really is quite appropriate. And yeah, I foresee you know maybe you know DeBoer's typically pretty good in his first year. I'll give him that. So third in the third in the central. How does that sound? Um, happy birthday. Sounds lovely. Yeah, there we go. Uh, behind Colorado, Minnesota. You think Colorado, Minnesota, Dallas? I St. think St. Louis in a wild card spot. Yeah, that sounds good. I think. Uh, Dallas will surprise people who are not well acquainted with the DeBoer experience. I think it's like, oh, they beat the St. Louis Blues this year. What a, what a great improvement. And then watch as they finish progressively lower in the standings uh, until he is fired in year three. Um, you can see this. <laughs> but are they really going to have what it takes? Are they really going to have what it takes to beat out the Winnipeg Jets who will inevitably be coached by Barry Trotz? I say Yes. I do not trust the Jets for shit, even with Trots. Uh, so who they don't have yet, by the way. This is my exactly. This is my early prediction. Stars third in the Central. Just absolutely dizzying. It's crazy. <laughs> wow, wow. This this take is flaming. Um, there so there are three coaching vacancies right now left: mm-hmm. Boston, Detroit, and Winnipeg. Some coaches who come to mind are Barry Trotz, Claude Julien, Travis Green. Uh, these are all just, you know, names of coaches who have, you know, been around recently. Uh, who did Dallas just fire? Jim Montgomery? Is he looking for a new job? He's interviewing. What other coaches yeah, are around? He's, he's interviewing big time. He's out there. Okay. Okay. I mean, what I mean, other he wasn't names the last coach. It was, it was Rick Bonus before, right? Um, but, right. Yes. But prior to that, yes. and but is yes, Rick Bonus interviewing. Yeah. No, he's not. As far as I can see, he is taking a break. Um, but Jim Montgomery. What Dave is Tippett? Name. Uh, I haven't seen Dave Tippett. Who's the guy? Was he? Who was on TNT? The hell is his name? Rick Tockett. That's a guy. Oh. Yeah. He's been around. Uh, really? Interviewing. Yeah, I've heard that name a few times actually. Um, Rick mm. Tockett. Don't know why you would do that to yourself, but you know. Maybe his stint on TNT was just that good. Uh, and, you know, another <laughs> team that you that it doesn't have a coaching vacancy technically, but they don't have a permanent head coach uh, that they've named is uh, Florida. 
they are actively interviewing people um, to yes, potentially replace Andrew reason. Brunette. Um, you know, apparently they're looking into Barry Trotz. So they do get, they do manage to snipe him from Winnipeg. I uh, would see why that would be the reason to get Barry Trotz. Perfectly understandable. Um, but otherwise, uh, if you can't get, you know, perhaps the best coach in the world, uh, maybe stick to the guy who is, you know, a Jack Adams finalist would be my advice. Uh, and yeah, apparently there's word that he might be an assistant coach actually for the Panthers because he's still under contract and they wouldn't need to fire him. <laughs> brunette? Yeah, Brunette. That's right. I do think there's a pretty good chance though because if you're an assistant coach, you can move elsewhere to become a head coach and, you know, move up. And I think, you know, Detroit is the vacancy I was looking at that was like, this is a fun, a funny one because, you know, they're trying to move out of their rebuild and like into playoff contention. But also, I personally don't think their roster is very close to playoff contention. No. Um, so, you know, if they go after someone like Barry Trotz, it's kind of like, you know, can he pull, can he make miracles happen with a roster that isn't good enough with Detroit? Like, I, I'm not even sure. I think Brunette may be a better fit than Trotz with the Red Wings um, because he kind of gave up the vibe in Florida of like, all right go have fun. And that may be the only way for Detroit and like the cast of players they have, you know, Raymond, Verana, Zadina type players who they want to get offense out of uh, to, to, to get that going. Right. Absolutely. I mean like, yeah, your point on, on trots is correct. I don't think it's a good fit because you know, he can pull all the miracles you want, but what's the miracle fucking eighth seed to get shit kicked by like Florida or Toronto. Like that's the miracle we're looking at. Right. So yeah. You know, you're kind of lighting money on fire. Understand if you can log down a coach, whatever, man. Sure. If you if you if you have the owner who's willing to spend that kind of money, uh, but you know these coaches have shelf lives. So why spend that shelf life on a, you know, a team just that just isn't ready and isn't very good right now? Uh, so you know, if Brunette does become available, I I don't know what the rules are in the NHL for coaching, like assistants, because I can you block them? I'm pretty sure you can, right? Because like I I saw. You know, like for example, you know, I see like shit like you know, Luke Richardson has been given permission by the by the Habs to go look for a, you know, head coaching job or whatever the fuck. Um, it seems like you can block them, like it's like an asshole move, and I think generally teams huh. let them go. But I haven't seen something where like you know, I know in the in in the NFL, uh, you know, if you're an assistant, you don't need to ask permission. You just need to ask permission for a lateral move, but anything upwards, uh, you can just go and get it. I have never heard of anything in the NHL about such a upward mobility freedom. I think it at least exists in the front office. Um, you have this kind of freedom. With coaching, though, yes, uh, normally teams give permission, and it would be an asshole move not to. But I feel like it would be an especially asshole move to not give it to Andrew Brunette, <laughs> right. who was just your head coach, won you the President's Trophy, you go become the assistant now. And also, you must stay here and be the assistant. And not only that, but you just know whoever they whoever they hired to replace him and force him to be the assistant. Um, Brunette's going to be standing there, like, tapping his wrist. Like, you know, you do know when you get fired, they're just going to make me head coach again, right? It would be a very strange dynamic. You're right. It, would be, it wouldn't be ideal. Um, but, you know, if, if the musical chairs stop and he's left without a spot, you could absolutely see him going back to the Florida bench as an assistant, which would be very strange. And even if there were no upward movement that he was blocked from, still pretty awkward. 
gotta say. Honestly, I feel like Brunette is had such a great year that even if it's like a late summer thing that Florida's like, cat jokes, you're not our coach anymore, and there are no more openings, I could see someone who was like on the fence about their coach making a move to go after Brunette. Like Seattle. You think they're really in love with Dave Haxtell after that terrible inaugural season they just had? I think, you know, I mean, I guess uh, now that I think of it, you would think if they want to make a change with like Trotz and Julian on the market, they probably would have done so already. Exactly. Right. Never mind. Yeah, this, this is the season. That was such a stupid point. What am I thinking? I'm such a <laughs> moron. Yeah, no, this is, this, is, this is the season. This is coach's season. Um, I would be concerned for the organization if they were really half-assing it and dropping everything to go after Andrew Burnett when, you know, like Jared <laughs> Trotz was there earlier in the same offseason. Yeah. And, and along with Bruce Cassidy and like Pete DeBoer, if you want to hand him that status. Um, all right. So that's the uh, the coaching vibe. As you said, three, maybe four spots still available. Three spots blatantly available. One maybe up in the air. Um, there we go. Yeah. Anything else on coaches? No, not on coaches. Let's talk about Gulk. <laughs> My favorite thing that happened in the hockey world this week. Um, just absolutely unhinged shit from the from the fucking senator's Twitter. Uh, to which apparently I'm pretty like I'm following the right people because this this evolved. I was following and I was entertained, but you know, entertained in a way it's like, how is this happening? Uh, so shall I explain the origin story? I guess of uh, what kind of happened. Uh, so I think was it Frank Senators, uh, yeah. noted Senators account. Uh, I don't have the tweet up in front of me, but tweeted something to the extent of like I had a dream that the Senators signed a player named Gulk and he wore number five, uh, and everybody just ran with it, just for for no apparent reason. All of Senators was like, they were you know you, you just saw Gulk tweets all fucking day. Gulk, Gulk, Gulk. Uh, Senators are gonna sign Gulk. Would you trade Gulk for a first-round pick? No, I wouldn't. He's Gulk. You got to keep him. He's a core member of the rebuild. Uh, Gulk, new member of the Senators' core, along with Josh Norris and Tim Stutzel. And other shit like that, just everybody bought in. And, you know, the cherry on top of the cake, the dumbest part of this whole thing, was the official Senators' account um, tweeting, quote, H in parentheses, belated BD, comma, Gulk, balloon emoji, and like confetti completely unprompted. I don't know why it's, it's not his birthday. Nobody was talking about this guy's birthday. Uh, and uh, yeah, it just says the, the, you know, they attached the pictures that's Gulk. And then it's, uh, you know, the, the picture that was kind of circulating was a, one of them AI generated images, you know, where like you, you look for some shit and then like the website generates the image that has previously not existed. Uh, and so it's like a sense player with like a blurry ass face. And whatnot. And uh, yeah, just truly, just truly, just so, so random and absurd, um, but deeply, fundamentally entertaining was Gulk. All right. Let's, once and for all, yes or no to the Gulk bit. Yes. Um, it, it's old now. It's obviously dead now. It's been too long. But in the moment, it was just, it was just fucking, you know, what's the word? Like, uh, like uh, collective delirium. It felt, you know, like just just a whole community just melting down uh, at, See, at the behest of Gulk. All right, here's my take on okay. things on the Gulk on the question of Gulk. I love, you know, <laughs> the 
the you know meme that's popular for two days and then dies. Thirty to fifty feral hogs, the <laughs> classic one. All right, I love that type of thing. The gulk was never funny to me at all. <laughs> it was not. It was someone had a dream. People have weird dreams. He says, "Here's the weird dream I had," and everyone goes. Everyone just, I guess that's the joke is someone had a dream and now we're pretending it's real, but we're not really pretending. We're just making a joke of it. I could, because that's not a funny origin story. Not the origin story. It's, you know, I could go on and be like, oh, I had a dream that, that the Boston Bruins changed their name to the Boston Trumpets and everyone would be going Boston Trumpets. And it's like, what are we talking about? This makes no sense. And I, that's, which leads me to think, why were people finding this so funny? I think people were enjoying the fact that other people didn't know where it came from. You know, like, the, it's the inside joke. I say, like, oh, Gulk. And some people are like, who's Gulk? And it's like, haha, you don't know. I'm in and you're out. I think maybe that's what people were liking about it. Just being a bully. Maybe. M- my favorite part of it, personally, I did not find the whole... I did not participate in uh, the Gulk gape, kiki, the fucking... Gulk keeping, you might say, <laughs> um, <laughs> of the origins of Gulk. I just, I just thought it was hilarious that a whole fan base just lost their minds. It's just, it's seems like some sort of commentary on something, you know. Everybody's <laughs> just, just fucking society. Yeah, I don't. I guess so. I just open my Twitter and I see fucking Gulk all over my feed, no fucking reason. Um, and it's like, wow. Sens fans really have nothing to do in the middle of June, do they? Wow, incredible, very funny. Um, and yeah, that's uh, that was that was that was my highlight. Um, it was just uh, you know, it's it's really crazy, just a whole part of Twitter. Sense Twitter. All right. Like well, that's our, I guess, Twitter events for the week. It seems like it's becoming a more of a frequent thing. We're like, what dumb bit surfaced on hockey Twitter this time? Yeah, we had two last um, week, right? Yeah. Well, we had the my sister who doesn't watch <laughs> hockey, and then we had the McDavid and Sammy Blaze stuff. Um, but I think it's finally time for us to do some like actual draft preview. Oh, spicy. What do you think about this? Sure. Let's do it. All right. So we won't spend, you know, too much time on it because we're already almost at an hour. But I pulled up on The Athletic uh, Scott Wheeler's top 100 prospect rankings. And we are going to, you know, I won't, you know, read the whole thing because that'll take way too long. Um, But I guess we'll focus near the top. um, And we'll also, we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what we feel like doing. Shane Wright's number one on the list to no one's surprise. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a pretty decent idea of who Shane Wright is and what makes him good. The consensus has been like, oh, Slavkovsky and Logan Cooley are, you know, the two and three in some order and maybe like, well, challenge Wright. This list actually has a defenseman, Simone Nemich, at number two, who uh, has registered 65 points in 112 games at a professional level as a defenseman. The very strong statistical profile as a defenseman. Um, and here, here I'll read some of what Wheeler said. A poll of NHL scouts still gives Czech defenseman David Juracek the slight edge, but I'd argue Nemich only further stamped what I believe to be the better case with his exceptional record-setting play in Nitra's playoff run and into the men's world championships. 
looked a class above his peers, excelled against NHLers on the senior stage, da 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 da, calculated poised to three zone defender, etc. Heaping high praise on Simone Nemich. And fourth on the list is Matthew Savoy, a uh, junior player for the Winnipeg Ice, uh, five for nine center, and he's basically, you know, your classic small but dynamic, lethal offensive player with all the offensive tools you could dream of. And Wheeler has Uri Slavkovsky ranked number five. Yeah, typically, you know, we've seen like Slavkovsky for number one kind of questions uh, has been the discussion the last little while. Uh, it really has, you know, maybe in the eyes of some, uh, it's it's like a two-horse race for first overall. And it's like, oh, who are they going to pick? And, you know, I think like Kent Hughes says, they still haven't decided or whatnot. Um, you asked me, I would agree uh, that uh, I would say that Shane Wright is a better prospect than Uri Slavkovsky. Uh, my initial take is that people seem to be a bit too enamored with his size uh, at like six foot four, which is nice. You know, Slavkovsky's size. Yeah, that's what I mean. Slavkovsky's size. Sorry, that wasn't clear. Um, it's. I think you know he's certainly a very nice prospect. Nothing against the guy, but I think you know in other aspects of the game, whether it's playmaking, puck moving, uh, I would give the edge to Shane Wright and just overall production. Uh, and I feel like that's a, a better indicator for the success. So, you know, I'll pick the smaller guy. That is my initial take. Yeah. Um. I don't know if you saw the new uh, Montreal amateur scout, head of amateur scouting, whose name I don't remember anymore. It's not Trevor Timmons anymore. It's like David something. Did like a Q&A with fans today. And people were talking like, oh, what's the hardest part of evaluating a player? What's, you know, or whatever questions. And people were pointing out everything he was saying about like what they're looking for in a player seemed to align exactly with like the type of player Shane Wright is. Um, and so... You know, people reading between the lines are like, yeah, it's not really a question anymore which way they're leaning. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, we saw it with Hughes Kako. We saw it with Matthews Line A. There's always, oh, is this winger actually better than, you know, the consensus number one pick? And it never ends up happening because the consensus number one pick goes number one. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'll hold out hope still. That we see a draft night shocker, just because it's fun, not because this is not because this is smart move. <laughs> I just you know like the feeling of like you know there's obviously when you're watching the draft and it's like oh from you know they the the, the the people come up to the podium and they're like with the first overall selection you know you got you got your heart in your throat a bit you know even if it's not your team it's just like oh who are they gonna pick you know uh, and uh, it's always it's always like a whole different kind of feeling when it pays off and they go completely off the board uh, is. Really not. There's nothing. There's no other feeling like it in sports. I find than uh, a high pick in any draft, just kind of going out of nowhere. I I love it. I'm a big fan. Zeppelin's mm-hmm. my team. See, I know exactly that like heart in the throat feeling you're talking about or whatever. I don't get that anymore, and I think maybe I do it to myself on purpose. Like, oh yeah, I know what it's gonna be. So that if it is a shock, it like totally knocks me off my head. They'll, one time I can remember that really happening for a high pick is Pierre-Luc Dubois. When everyone was like, oh, it's Matthews line at Pugliarvi. Don't even think about it. When Pierre-Luc Dubois went third, I was just like, excuse me? And there was like a stunned silence in Buffalo at that draft. It was crazy. Yeah, and that's a great moment, right? 
We're still talking about it to this day. And so, mm-hmm. I'm all for it. A1. All right. Well, um, one, yep. thing with, one thing with these Scott Wheeler scouting reports is they really don't spend a lot of time on a player's like weaknesses or negatives. So, it makes everyone sound like super awesome and good. Which is, you know, it's fun. Because, in general... You want fans to be like excited about who their player, who like all the options their team has. Like, oh, maybe we'll get this player so good, that player is so good, and they don't want to be like, oh, we can take the player who's bad defensively or the player who has a terrible slap shot, you know. Um, but I want to point out uh, number seven on this list, Joachim Kamel, because this is one of many players in like this top twenty who seem to be described as like. Great offensively. Offensive skill through the roof. Joachim uh, Kamel, ranked number seven. Uh, led the Liga in scoring through the first third of the season. Uh, and the Liga is the professional Finnish league. So that is extremely impressive, impressive, even though he apparently hit a bit of a wall in the second half um, with his bottom-of-the-table team. Some of that had to do with poor, poor puck luck. His shot generation remained high. Some of it was a reduction in ice time, and some of it was just the reality that he wasn't going to be a point-per-game producer in his draft year. Um, but dot dot dot, he remains uh, one of the more gifted individual creators in the draft class. Slick play-creating winger who excels in possession, and etc. 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 That type of thing. So uh, honestly, this sounds like the makings of exactly the type of player that we like and think should go very high, and many other people do. You know, a high ceiling type thing. And I know a lot of people are raving about the defensemen like Nemec, Juracek, who may go like, you know, fourth, fifth overall type thing. I think this player's ceiling sounds high enough that he should get serious top five consideration. Yeah, I mean, it hits all the points, right? Uh, when it comes to to your point about Scott Wheeler's very positive scouting reports, uh, even if he does, you know, Keep it positive. You can still read between the lines. What doesn't he not mention? If if he doesn't mention it, it means he's, he's not particularly great at it. And so that's where you kind of raise the question. Uh, but yeah, this is a quite the glowing review of Joachim Kamal. And yeah, that's right. This is you know you want the you want the you know the playmaker uh, who can can really you know bring the skill offensively. And so that sounds great. Uh, moving down a slot. We can look to uh, Brad Lambert, who I think up until probably last year, um, or maybe a couple of years ago at this point, um, he was up there in the conversation with Shane Wright. You know, him and him and Shane Wright, one and two uh, for this draft class. Uh, but he had a bad draft year. Uh, this article says it was injury, illness, his own play. Uh, and that's an interesting that's an interesting thing to put third on that list. Um, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the ice hockey <laughs> and the struggles of his team. Uh, so yeah, I you know he clearly has a lot of talent uh, to be you know a consensus number two kind of guy uh, when you're like 16, 17. Uh, you you know you got to have a lot of that raw skill. But uh, it seems that he was quite in- inconsistent, and that's really kind of the red flag here is. Can he play night in, night out, and consistently produce for a guy who you're drafting in the top 10 or top 20, wherever you happen to draft him? Yeah, people have been making the Aturati comparison, which I think is a stretch. 
Raddy, you know, who was at a time like, oh, maybe he'll go number one in the 2021 draft. Had a bad draft year. Was still ranked in like the 20s and fell all the way to 52 for the uh, where the Islanders got him. Brad Lambert's not going to fall to 52. He is almost definitely not going to fall to day two. Um, that would be a massive surprise. Even though I do think he will fall out of the top 10. Because on a lesser scale, the same kind of you know red flags that came up with Raddy are coming up with him. Which is, he took a step back in his draft year. Um, it just so happens to be finished as well. Although that's, you know, not really here or there. Um, but, you know, he got worse and injuries became a problem as well. So I do think he is going to slip farther than he should and maybe a potential steal in like the late teens, early 20s range of the draft. Right. Well, in that comparison, the the the, the uh, comparison to Atti Ratti uh, in that sense is perhaps not a, not such a stretch because you know uh, these are these are players who have previously had a track record of being very highly scouted, take a trout tumble in their draft year, uh, and they end up being underrated. Uh, you know, obviously we don't know where Lambert's going to be drafted, so hard to say how underrated he's going to be. Uh, but yeah, I typically tend to tra- trust that you know track record of success. You know, not to completely discount people who make a surge in their draft year, but if you do have multiple years, uh, at, you know as being rec- where you're recognized as one of the better players in your draft class, even if you are only 16 or 17, uh, you know, I trust that the talent was there from the beginning and it's still there at the age of 18. Uh, and, you know, one bad season, obviously it's very important in terms of the development, uh, but I find it easier to discount uh, perhaps more than, than these NHL teams are doing uh, if you look at Rati in particular. Yeah. Uh, there are some fun trios of forwards. Um, one trio is like a very explicit trio of uh, Swedish forwards who played on a line together uh, whenever they played together in J20 in Sweden. It's Jonathan Lakaramaki, Liam Ogren, and Noah Ostlund. Uh, Lakaramaki is uh, the cream of the crop of those three, and he's ranked number nine on Scott Wheeler, which is, I think, the highest I've seen him ranked. I think like the 10 to 15 range is where I see him mostly. Um, but once again, it's a matter of offensive ceiling and with him specifically, it's, uh, it's goal scoring. The main thing that's praised for him is, uh, got one of the quickest catch and release motions in the draft. He's dynamic in control and threatening from anywhere in the offensive zone. So, you know, this sounds a lot like someone who, if they're going to reach their potential in the NHL, they're going to be scoring a lot of goals. Yeah. Uh, and that is a skill that uh, you can't have enough of in this league and in this whole sport as a whole. Uh, if we look elsewhere on that line, uh, we have Liam Ogrens ranked next, down to 14 for Scott Wheeler. Uh, and, well, he, you know, he apparently has a combination of power and finesse, shot and pass. And so maybe, uh, you know, a more of a jack-of-all-trades, more than, you know, a particular trait that sticks out for this guy uh and yeah the the kind of words that he uses kind of supports that or the word scott wheeler uses he says stuff like his offensive arsenal is multifaceted and shit like that um makes me think (laughs) that he doesn't have that one trait Uh, otherwise i feel like he'd be singing that trade's praises uh what are you what are your thoughts there uh yeah i mean i i agree that he's definitely you know a step below like um 
but uh hmm i don't know enough about him honestly to have a smarter opinion than you just had there how's that how's that for great insight sounds good sounds good to but me. i do yeah. i do want have something to say about noah oslin though because actually i did look into him a little bit more than liam ogren before this because it does feel like ogren and lakaramaki were the you know the real wheel and dealers and Austin was more the, you know, defensive specialist on the line, which is partly why he's ranked a little closer to the end of the first round. He's ranked number 23. Um, and you know, he's described with, he's like, you know, two way ability and clever and silky smooth in possession, which, you know, are nice qualities to have nothing that's really going to wow you. Um, and I can't help but think, you know, does the fact that he's on a line with those really high profile offensive players and he, you know, is relegated to more of a defensive role. That either means to me that a, he hasn't produced been producing very much because he doesn't need to, because the burden is on other players and he has takes on more of a defensive responsibility, or does it mean that they're lifting him up higher than um, he would otherwise be? And his ceiling really isn't very high to begin with. Yeah, I tend to think it's the second one. Um, I don't know if I ever subscribed to the logic of, you know, there he he just didn't need to score goals. His team had enough of goals from that first <laughs> line. You know, like I understand there are roles. You know, obviously, and so you know, as as the center, he's more defensively minded, and so maybe he can't you know focus on the offense as much. But I find it hard to believe that's so much an impediment where, you know, like that'll completely sewer your offensive production to the point where people aren't talking about you as, you know, a kind of offensive producer, uh, which is what we have here, uh, where we're talking about his defensive aptitude um, and instead of his offensive upside, which, you know, red flag for me, if you're a first round prospect, he seems fine for, you know, maybe a day two guy. uh, But we've talked about swimming, swinging for the fences, especially, you know, offensively. Um, and you know, he's got nice skating. So, you know, the, he's got some of the traits that you, you, you like in a good prospect, but you know, maybe not the offensive upside. And, you know, I, I, I have a hard time, you know, convincing myself of the excuse of, oh, they just, he just got enough from that first line. He didn't need to score. The coach was like, you know what? It's okay. Um, you know, I, I just don't buy it. If he was good enough offensively, I think we would see it and people would be raving about it. The other a uh, trio I was alluding to before is three uh, forwards who play for the USNTDP. It's uh, Isaac Howard, Frank Nazer, and Cutter Gauthier. Uh, and one interesting thing about Wheeler's ranking is that, I said, when I was first starting to look into these players like a month ago on an extreme surface level, I was like, Isaac Howard seems pretty impressive. And Cutter Gauthier is like, yeah, he's all right too. Why does everyone rank Cutter Gauthier higher than Isaac Howard consistently? Um, Scott Wheeler agrees with me. Isaac Harrow's ranked number 10. Nazer was 11, I think. Cutter Gauthier is 18. Um, but Wheeler does mention, like, a lot of rankings these days have Cutter Gauthier in the top 10. Some, like, even close to the top 5. Which seems very extreme. And it seems like, A, the fact that he's six foot three, has, you know, given him some size boost advantage. Um... The fact that he can play center, even though he has played mostly wing, has given him a boost. Um, And his calling card appears to be uh, goal scoring slash slash shooting. 
which I guess are kind of the same thing, but I say shooting specifically because Wheeler says, I do think he shoots a bit much. A lot of his shots miss the net or are taken from low percentage areas, but you can live with that and that should drop out as he gets even strong over his NHL frame. That may be a slight error, but I think you get the idea. Isaac Howard, on the other hand, is I you know prefer significantly um, because he just seems to have a better sense of the game and like what it takes to score and produce high quality chances because everywhere I look, people describe him as like creative Uh, and he's, you know, kind of short ish five foot 10. But he's very, you know, everywhere says dangerous with the puck, a dangerous off of it as well. And has here, here's what Wheeler says, a scorer's sixth sense for always arriving just on time in gray locations. And it's like, that's the dream. What more could you want? Right. I think, you know, we see a bias for the quote-unquote maybe ready-made kind of player. I think that's the quote I saw that kind of jumped out at me uh, from Carter Gauthier. Like, scouts were, were raving about how he's, like, ready-made for the NHL. And that just makes, you know, it sounds like the fucking team development teams are, are lazy, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is what it is because, great, he's ready for the NHL, but if he tops out as a, just like, you know, if you're drafting him in the top five or top 10 or whatever it is, and he tops out as just a middle six guy, you're a ho-hum, whatever, but he was ready made uh, or ready to go from day one, like, okay, he'll help out day one, but, you know, years two, three, four, five, uh, where you want your first round picks for them to hit, they need to be top line contributors. Uh, you certainly want the skill sets, skill sets, um, the, the kind of, the, the skill, the vision uh, that, someone that maybe, uh, you know, Isaac Howard has uh, that you can't really teach. Uh, and so that's what you're looking for more in a prospect. So, you know, that I think it's a bit telling. I think that quote kind of jumped out at me is like, okay, why, what, you know, like obviously the size thing too. Um, but it's like, you know, why are we favoring this ready-made stuff so fast? This is not the NFL. These players are not really meant to be ready-made for the NHL at 18 years old. Uh, they always take a few years to develop, at least for the vast majority. Uh, and, you know, so swing for the fences. I don't know why we're we're drafting for year one or year two. Yeah. Uh, uh, we are kind of against the clock here. I don't want to ru- have, you know, a two-hour episode when we have our own draft. So there are just two more players I want to mention. Because last week's episode was called We Still Know Nothing About Noah Warren and Yuri Coolidge or something to that effect. <laughs> Let's learn about Noah Warren and Yuri Coolidge. Yuri Coolidge. You might remember Sam Cosentino, his, in, his entire scouting report was, was his, uh, like, I don't know, six goal or however many goals, nine goal performance at the U18s uh, of a fluke? And, like, that was it. He didn't answer the question. Um, Scott Wheeler says, much more information, Coolidge's MVP for performance at the U18s answered questions about whether he was a first or second rounder. So I guess Scott Wheeler's answer to Sam Cosentino's question is it was not a fluke. It answered he literally the emphatically. <laughs> literally answered the question emphatically. I love yeah. it. I, <laughs> yeah. A direct reply to Sam Cosentino. Yeah, really. Uh, Coolidge impressed scouts with his. Uh, one-timer on the power play. There, that's another good inf- piece of information about Yuri Kulich. By the way, Wheeler ranks at number 22. I think Costantino out of number 30. Um, he is a, a detail-oriented, above-puck defender who makes quick plays and stays on pucks, can play off of talented linemates to free his dangerous shooting arsenal up. 
And there are several other facts here. Quick hands, flashes skill, you know, the the typical thing you see from from forwards rated around the late first round is like there's some upside there. Probably not, you know, going to turn into a superstar, but you can probably bank on a decent NHLer if your development team is competent. Yeah. There's some nice points. There's some nice skills. Uh, and yeah, obviously, you know, I think there wasn't much uh, about his skating other than control of his skating stride. So, you know, I question whether, you know, that's probably one of the liabilities, maybe not liabilities, but just like, you know, you'd probably want him to improve his skating. Uh, otherwise, he would be singing those praises. Uh, and, but, you know, good stuff to work with. Um, so that's that's it on Yuri Coolidge. Uh, if we move to Nora Warren, who seems to be much lower rated, down at 77. Yeah. Uh, where did Constantino have him? <laughs> 32. Okay, quite the jump. Uh, what, do you remember? What, what What did Constantino write about Noah Warren? I don't remember. Constantino said he has the rare asset to have the wherewithal to know what he is and how he has to play. Apparently, <laughs> apparently there, there isn't agreement on what he is because Constantino thinks he's a first-round pick. Uh, and uh, Scott Wheeler, he thinks he's a number 77. in the That's a third-round prospect. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, does he know what he is? Because I certainly don't at this point in time. <laughs> um, but then right. again, Scott Wheeler only says nice things. Not sure. So let's <laughs> let's see what he does say. I, oh, unless you want to cover it. Go for it. Okay. Um, so what's the trait that seems to jump out? Um, he skates quite well. Um, he plays within himself. I don't know what that means. That's, that, that sounds like it the means, same kind of mumbo jumbo. <laughs> it means that he has the wherewithal to know what he is and how he has to play and plays so, within himself. I, yeah, that really does give give identical <laughs> vibes. There's a consensus about this vibe that Noah Warren has of knowing who he is. He's very self aware on the ice. <laughs> um, we seem to have stumbled upon this is a this is a newfangled trait apparently of of these prospects. Um, okay, he he defends at a very high level. Okay, so he's he's a very he's a he's a defenseman by the way, a right hand shot, and uh, he's good defensively. Okay, cool, and has started to come out of his shell. Um, okay, really, really kind of not much at all going offensively, uh, that you, so this is clearly one of them stay at home defensemen who is pretty good defensively, but not worth a first round pick. I would say, uh, you don't want, there, there's not too much upside there. So shame on you, Sam Constantino. This guy's going day one. I just know it. Is that you're. Here's how it says, he became a physical, steady Eddie defenseman on a daily basis, and that's why his stock is on the rise. Oh, God. Because now his assets are so strong and powerful that now you see the strength of the athlete instead of the weaknesses. So uh, I guess because he knows exactly what he is and says, I am a big defensive defenseman, teams will go, he knows what he is and how he has to play, drafting him late first round. I'm getting like Nolan Allen vibes, who Chicago took with the last pick around one last year. It's like the exact same thing. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, just not a puck mover, just a good defensively. Um, and we have talked about this before. This is this is not the upside you should be drafting for in the in the fucking first round, or really in the first two no rounds. Way. Not at all. Terrible. Third round pick, go for it. Yeah. Why not? Although I would prefer actually, maybe not. Maybe yeah, there's probably still star potential available in the third round. Yeah, exactly. People fall. 
uh, there's no point in uh, kind of burning a pick like this. I mean, like, I'm sure he'll be fine. But, you know, go for the upside for crying out loud. Yeah, uh, I feel, you know, free agency and trades, that's where you get defensive defensemen if you need them. Yeah. Draft is for big swings. Absolutely. So you can, yeah, maybe use those those prospects to, to leverage them into great, established, stay-at-home defensemen. You know what I mean? Um, yep. But you're not swinging for the fences on a stay-at-home defenseman. That makes no sense. That is oxymoronic. Um, terrible. All right. Is that all? Have we have we covered all of the prospects that we have targeted today in our pretty preliminary analysis? I guess we jumped on pretty fast because there were a lot of players to mention, and there's still a lot we haven't mentioned. So expect more of this from us in the next couple of weeks. Uh, for example, I wanted to mention Rutger, Rutger McGrory, but we didn't have time. Next week, promise I'll get to it. But now. It is time for our draft, and I was trying to think of a topic earlier today, and I said, what are there 12 of? And I looked up, what are there 12 of? Apparently, Jesus had 12 disciples, so I thought, hey, we could draft Jesus' 12 disciples. Too bad we know nothing about them. So we'll be going, I'll draft Timmy the disciple, and I'll say, because of vibes, but that's not happening. Instead, another thing there are 12 of is Days of Christmas, December 25th through 31st, and January 1st through 5th are the 12 days of Christmas. We will be drafting those 12 days based on how good they are. Is that that's right? The criteria? Yeah, straight up. Um, you know, this is... If anybody has any suggestions for future drafts, please send them my way. Please um, because... do not tell us because we already have too many amazing ideas. <laughs> like, like the 12 days of Christmas out here in the fucking middle of June. Which I... You know, when I... <laughs> I, we are as far from you know we're like winter sol- uh, summer solstice we are as far from that day as you could possibly be so you know what it's kind of fitting it's it's as fitting you know it's more fitting than doing it in like april or, or august i'll tell you that so yes it's the second most appropriate season because we are so far away i need to get a piece of paper Agreed. so i can keep track of uh, which great date that i'll be picking okay um so yeah there are 12 days uh, you know what? That's a thing. Yeah. Whoever thinks about these twelve days, anyways, like obviously we have you know them in the context of the song. That's how most people are exposed to the twelve days of Christmas. But I never personally associated them to the the actual days. I was actually quite confused as to uh, is December twenty fifth the twelfth day or the first day. Um, I never found out until you know I said twelve days of Christmas, and you're like December twenty fifth, the fucking January fourth. And I was like, oh, it's those 12 days or January 5th. And I was like, it's those 12 days. All right. I, yeah, sure. It's solved. (laughs) Because isn't there like another branch of Christianity that like celebrates Christmas on January 6th? Like the 12 days are finished and it's the epiphany, right? It's like the day after the 12 days. Sounds, sounds cool to me. You are asking the wrong dude for, for, I think I'm right. Sure. I trust it. Okay. Uh, well. I'm picking first because you beat me in the numbers draft, which actually, now that I think of it, we never mentioned not sure it, if you eh? ever mentioned on the show. Yeah, we didn't. You yeah, didn't. well, you won that one. I trust you. 75%. Chagrin. 75% of the vote. Yeah, Beautiful. So I'll be drafting first. Maybe the easiest first pick I've ever had. It's clearly December 25th, Christmas Day. Not only is it thematically the main thing it's it's literally christmas and we're drafting the days of christmas so obviously you're going to pick the one that is christmas 
But also, even if that weren't the topic, and you just gave me these 12 days at random to pick from, this is, is the most fun. Because it's Christmas Day. Easy peasy. Okay. Cool. Uh, you know what's better than Christmas Day? New Nothing. Year's Day. Is what I New was... Year's Day? <laughs> yes, New Year's Day. <laughs> January 1st. All right? Um, it's Who doesn't love New Year's, you know? Uh, you're awake for midnight. Everybody's hyped for midnight. You know, there's some drinking. There's some partying. There's some resolutions to be made or whatnot. I don't know. Whatever you do on New Year's Day. You hang out. It's a whole. It's 1-1 on the calendar. First day of a new year. The whole change. Buy a new calendar and shit. Good stuff. Fresh start. Who doesn't love it? It's New Year's Day. Get your New Year's Day presents. Wonderful. Are you fucking kidding me with how <laughs> terrible this pick is? Okay. every All the things you named of the fun things about New Year's happen on December 31st, which is the day I'm picking, by the way. You're like, everyone's getting excited for midnight and having party because it's almost New Year's. Well, that's, that's what New Year's Eve is. That's when all the fun is. That We're getting hyped for the next year. That's when all the events are, December 31st. Then it, midnight comes and everyone goes, that was underwhelming. And, you know, maybe they hang around and party a little longer. Then they go to bed and wake up. And, you know, for those people who drink, they're hungover the next day. And they're, then, you know, it's January. And all the Christmas festivities are done. People start thinking about, wow, another year of this shit. So, by the way, that was all just attacking your pick. I'm picking December 31st. Because New Year's Eve, I actually am a big fan of. You know, not only is it, is it a time for fun parties, it's also... A great time to reflect on the year that has passed and also watch uh, Snoopy Presents for Auld Lang Syne, the greatest Charlie Brown special of all time. Okay, interesting. Um, you know, we talk about another year of this shit. That's what I feel on December 31st. Because I was like, oh, I just went through another year of this shit. You know? And it's like, January 1st, I'm like, you know, it's a new start. What are you talking mean? about? I'm talking about January 1st. That's what the fuck I'm talking about. <sighs> Get with the program. All right. Uh, fourth pick. What is it? The range is December 25th. Did we say January 4th? 5th? 5th. Still 5th. Okay. I'm just going to like, put that in the box so I can remember that. Uh, my uh, second round pick will be Boxing Day, December 26th. It is the last remaining holiday officially out of all of them. Uh, and uh, it's great, great time. Great time. Lots of sales. But that's not the best part. Obviously, World Juniors is the best part. Um, you know? Starts on Boxing Day. Uh, and so it's like an extra present. One might argue even better than whatever crap you get on Christmas Day. You know? Get some hockey. Some fun prospect hockey. We love to see it. December 26th is the time to be. Uh, you're also... It's also like a very... It's the beginning of that, you know, that in-between week. Between the 26th and the 31st. Where, you know... Lots of people don't have much to do, and you just got time to kill. You can do whatever the hell you want, and you know that week is ahead of you on December 26th, you know? Your Christmas shopping is done. All that stress is gone. You're just kind of unencumbered for the rest of winter break, and that is a great feeling. Great, great, great feeling, and it's maximal on December 26th. Well, let me tell you, during that week, is also December 30th. 
A great day in its own right. <laughs> oh God, this is this is really right. where we're getting the doldrum of these picks. They, these mean nothing. <laughs> these mean absolutely nothing. <laughs> Go. I, I know. I can't wait to try to argue like January third is better than the fourth or whatever the fuck. Anyway, this is uh, why December. we need more ideas. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> anyway, December thirtieth. All right. Okay. Got. The World Junior is going on this week, of course, in a normal year. This year, past year, of course, was an exception. Um, but being near the end of the round robin, the oh, games, God. the stakes, the stakes it's are much incredible. higher than they were on the 26th. When you're like, oh, yeah, should Switzerland beat Slovakia? This means nothing to me. Whereas, you know, if they played each other on the 30th, you go, Switzerland beat Slovakia. That means that uh, they're going to play uh, Finland in the next round instead of Canada or something like that. So the stakes in the World Junior games are higher, not to mention... New Year's Eve, which is a great day, as already established, is only one day away. So you're getting excited for New Year's Eve. This is such a fucking whack pick. Because you talk about World Junior, this is your selling point. Why didn't you pick the final day? January 5th, which is when the final usually happens. Gold medal game day. That's all I need to say. Is that what you're picking? Yes, it is what I'm picking. Well, I wouldn't make the case for it and then just leave it for you to swipe under my nose. Um... Yeah, January 5th. It's uh, typically, you look at the past years because it starts so regularly on the 26th. You have a set number of days. It'll norm- naturally end on the same day, and that day is January 5th, which is a great time. Uh, you know, the year's just getting started. You're hung- your hangover's well, you know, behind the mirror, and uh, it's World Juniors. That's my case. Okay. But consider, do you remember... In high school, when we were in grade eight, and we went back to school on January third, and we actually missed the semifinals and finals of the World Juniors. Okay, consider but, that I I picked the day with the final to counterbalance that fact. And if you pick any of third or fourth, that is on you, and I will skewer you for it because you won't have a final to fall back on. What I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say here is that the good thing about the fifth that you're talking about, which is the finals, is counterbalanced by the fact that you know some people are back to school. Holiday season is getting over with for many people around January fifth, and if it's not already over on January fifth, this past year it was for me on the seventh, and you're starting to think like, oh, break is almost done. The sadness has already started to set in by the fifth, so. So there, bad pick. Okay, make your pick. Whereas, whereas on December twenty eighth, the <laughs> oh, feeling random fucking pick. All right, yeah, go the ahead. The feeling of you know joy and nothing to do ness of the holidays is per- perfectly intact. You're right in the thick of the slushy nothingness of the beautiful slushy nothingness between Christmas Day and New Year's. Not to mention, it's my grandma's birthday. So if you make any case against December 28th, it means you hate my grandma. Um, okay. Well, I, that's, that's one way to extort a lack of rebuttal. Um, <laughs> with uh, with my, the 8th pick, I will be going December 27th. Um, I see why. That sucks. Terrible day. <laughs> Awful day. You know, if you want to argue, you want to argue that eves are better than the day of, like you did for December thirty first. I would argue the eve of your grandma's birthday is better than the day of. Just saying, she's just waiting <laughs> in anticipation. Leading up to <laughs> she is anticipating her birthday. Okay, I will have none of this oh slander. God. So I got the steal plus an extra day 
an extra day of uh, nothing. Like, you know, you have an extra, one more day left than the 28th of just joyful nothingness of the winter break. Uh, and, Here's the thing, though. Yeah. If, this, if December 26th is so good like you claim it is, doesn't that mean it that is. on December 27th, everybody's sad that the 26th is over? No, that's not Check how that mate. shit works. That's <laughs> not how that shit works at all. That's what I would not draft the twenty six in the first place. You know, if I was, you, you know, oh, oh, well, if you're saying that, then are you arguing since everybody loves December twenty six that they shouldn't love December twenty fifth? Because it's it's it was bad enough that twenty six is worth celebrating. It's a whole ass holiday, and yet that must mean that if it's celebrating on the twenty sixth. We shouldn't be celebrating on the 25th so much. Hold up. All right. So, a um, little technical difficulty, but we're back now. And as I was saying, the, ex- you know, by this argument, the transitive property of the 27th must not be good because the 26th is worth celebrating. Well, then, therefore, if the 26th is worth celebrating, then the 25th must not be so good as to make the 26th not worth celebrating. So, chew on that. Chew on that. That's how I delivered that at all. Here's, with extreme eloquence. Here. Go ahead. I do say here, myself. Here's what I'm saying. Yes. All right, so the 25th is clearly the best no. day, as we can no. all agree, which means that on the 26th, the day that you picked, people are like, oh, the 25th was better, so I'm sad now, but this day is still okay. Then on the 27th, they're like, oh, the 26th was better, so now this day sucks even more than that. I mean, and then the 28th comes, and they're like, yay, it's Alex's grandma's birthday. I'm happy again. That's how it works. Wow. I think you have a poor understanding of how people experience their winter <laughs> holidays. That's how everyone thinks all the time. <laughs> and it's my pick. And now I'm going to take. January second, my first, my first toe dipping in January, Yikes. and here's what's great. So while you're talking about the World Juniors, this is quarterfinal day. All right, everyone knows that even though it's not the finals or whatever, the fact that there are more games means it's more fun. Objectively, quarterfinal day is like the best part of the tournament. And don't forget, the my main criticism of gold medal game day was that people are starting to get back into school or whatever. January 2nd, that's still farther away than it is on the 5th, so it's better. Closer to the middle of vacation. Easy peasy pants. Wrong. Actually, January 2nd is sometimes one of the worst days of the holiday season because it is often the last day of that winter break, and uh, you are just filled to the brim with a dread. And if it is, if it is, that means you're already back at winter break being over on the 5th. Sure. I've already admitted that. I That was never a part of my argument. It was that gold medal day rocks. It's also the 12th day of Christmas. Quarterfinal day is cooler. The 12th day of Christmas. If you're, if you're celebrating, if we're following, you know, perhaps a hypothesis that you proposed at the beginning, you know, then you got epiphany the next day to get hyped about. So. Just <laughs> hyped about epiphany. Yeah. Don't discount those people. And I certainly am not. I've got them in mind when I made that pick, certainly. And uh, it's also gold medal day, so you can eat that. Um, next, I'm taking the last December day because uh, that, that's, that's always great. Um, December, uh, you still have significant amount of winter break left. And it's also the fifth day of Christmas. So if we look at the song, 
Uh, it's the the iconic five golden rings bit, which makes it by far the best day because uh, it has the best lyric, um, and there's nothing you can say to uh, counter that. That would be true. Go ahead. Here's the thing, though. Five golden rings being the lyric of the fifth day of Christmas is totally irrelevant to the actual objective material conditions of people on December 29th itself because no one is actually getting five golden rings. It's not even at the forefront of anyone's mind in modern society. So your point is Fine. moot. But if you want to make that association, I'm saying it's a boost. No, my the, the, the crux of my argument is that you have more winter break left than most days. Uh, more certainly more so than January second. Strange pick. I don't know why you just didn't finish out the the December's there. You could have gone five December's and one January and had a real strong class. But instead, you'll you'll only be edging me out in terms of December, and I'll have had the better ones anyways. So there we go. 29th. Wait, just to get just to make sure we're on the same page, you're implying that it's better to have more December's, yet your first pick was a January and your third pick was a January. Yeah. Is that correct? That's correct. Well, I'm saying as a general rule, but I got certainly the best of the January. Meanwhile, you're stuck with whatever fucking second and fourth or third nonsense shit. Uh, and I, I am not encumbered with uh, exclusively shitty Januaries because I got the good ones. How about that? That's not true. January 2nd is a great January, and January 4th is a good January, Meaningless. Too. That's my last pick. Meaningless. I'm telling you why. Yeah. I'm telling you why the 4th is miles and miles ahead of the 3rd okay. that you're about to get stuck uh, with. Because, terrible. Go ahead. Because January 4th is semifinal day with the World Juniors. January 3rd, the day off in between. We're lying around, sitting around going, what am I supposed to do with myself? It's, you know, December's over. It's time to, you know, I can't lie around and pretend that I'm, you know, it's nothing time anymore. But also, it's the day between World Juniors. What do I do with myself? I need to be miserable. That's what you're doing on January 3rd. Go ahead, take Wrong. it. Uh, I will happily take January 3rd. If you, uh, if I was picking first in this draft and I had to pick between uh, these two days, I would pick the third. Because inherently, given that it is you're earlier, lying. no, I am telling the truth. It is more likely that you are either working or at school on the fourth compared to the third. Think about that. Think about that. Well... But your your argument is just full of contradictions no. and holes. Wrong. When you're talking about January fifth being, oh, it's a great day because of the World Juniors, yes. and even though you might be back at school, and then you're talking about, oh, the third is better than the fourth because even though there's World Juniors on the fourth, you're probably back at school. That's what yes, you're correct. Because my World Junior argument is much better than your World Junior argument, Mister Semifinal Day. Who cares about the semi? Everybody's watching the gold medal game, the whole event. Semifinals are nice. Get some nice attendance. Gold medal game, that's a real draw. You don't have a real draw. No, you have more odds of school or work. That is worse. Uh, and that's why. It's valid. No contradiction. Well, you have even more odds of school or work on Correct, the Correct, but it is worth so it. There. It is compensated. Which cancels out the fact. No, which cancels not out canceling. The Do fact the math properly. That maybe some people prefer the gold medal game to the semifinal. Wrong. The fact that you are more likely to be at school. Wrong. Easy. The January 5th is much better. The world, The gold medal game... Is so head and head, you know, head shoulders, whatever, head and shoulders above the semifinal game, that that sacrifice is much worth it compared to whatever nonsense you're pulling here, um, where you're talking about the fourth and the third. This is how I win. I get you to pit your third pick against my last pick. 
No, that's not how I win. Uh, I'm the, the the third pick is still equally valid as a third pick. It is better than December thirtieth, for the record. No, it is not. I can't. I can't All believe right, you well, dragged me down. That's into the end of the episode. Like this, this is terrible. Terrible look. All right, my days of Christmas. We have the day of Christmas, December twenty fifth, December thirty first, December thirtieth, December twenty eighth, January second, January fourth. Taisei's dark, cold days of Christmas are January first, December twenty sixth, January fifth, December twenty seventh, December twenty ninth, and January third. I think it's very clear. <laughs> Excuse me. I think it's very clear who the winner is, me. and it's me. It no, it's me. Poll will be up later this week. I won't forget this time. Any closing remarks, Taisei? No, I have not. Well, I you know I just I just got excited. We're so far away from this time of year. I just got so excited thinking about my set of days, and I just I'm so glad we're so far away from your set of days. Um, <laughs> endless relief. I will sleep well tonight, knowing I am far away from December twenty eighth. No, nothing against your grandma's birthday, December thirtieth. My bad. (laughs) My bad. I do, I do certainly dread December twenty ninth, but it fills me with joy to know that the light of December thirtieth will come soon after. (laughs) It's not soon. It's as far as you can get. Um, Soon after the twenty ninth. Okay, yeah. Pick me up. One might say. all right. Well, thanks for listening to Fusion and Hockey Podcast. This is uh, we're gonna be probably back on Sunday schedule moving forward as of next week. We'll be talking about the Stanley Cup Finals, and we'll be doing more draft stuff. Can I say something? And we'll talk about whatever. Yeah, go for this, it. This draft, I just realized, gives me major Gulk vibes. This is this is the Gulk of draft. How is this the Gulk of draft? <laughs> I don't know. It just feels like we just lost our minds for like thirty minutes while we talked about. The merits of December but we were talking about concrete, real things. Fair you know, enough. not a, we weren't talking about dreams. Some kind of. Well, you know what? We were kind of dreaming of like a date six months ago in the future or past. So, but we were also dreaming of a reality in which these days are different from each other in meaningful ways. <laughs> so it really is the gulk of the drafts, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess now that I've destroyed the illusion, we'll sign off for good. Not for good for this week. Instagram, Fusion and Hockey Podcast. Twitter, at Alex and New Handle. At Tai Goodbye. The end.